Welcome to the Notepod, episode one, which is just another name for these solo episodes. Wally and I will have more episodes in the future, but right now, just doing solo episode, book notes. Anyway, I'll just get to these notes. The book that I'm talking about today is The Fighter's Mind, Inside the Mental Game, a look at the mental strategies of fighters, extreme athletes, and those on the edge. It's from 2010. It is by Sham, no, by Sam Sheridan, author of A Fighter's Heart. I did an episode on that, which I probably should have listened to before I started doing this one, but uh, check that out. I'll have to add a link in the show notes. Here's his bio from, I think it's from the publisher's website. Sam Sheridan is a Harvard graduate and the author of the books, The Disaster Diaries, A Fighter's Heart, and A Fighter's Mind. He's been a boxer, mixed martial arts fighter, sailor, cowboy, South Pole, construction worker, and merchant marine. And then book description... In the fighter's mind, Sheridan explores the mental discipline required of an elite fighter. In his training, Sheridan heard time and time again that fighting is 90% mental half the time. What does that mean exactly? To uncover the secrets of mental strength and success, Sheridan interviewed dozens of the world's most fascinating and dangerous men. And then, yeah, just lists a bunch of people that are mentioned in this book. But the first book was more about his journey into amateur training. I think he might have done a profile, but he did... He talks about like moving to Thailand to do kickboxing and train Muay Thai. But in this book, the fighter's mind. So that's a fighter's heart. Fighter's mind is additional profiles. So he did, he did profiles in the previous book, but he also does profiles and focus mostly on these profiles here. And it, as mentioned, focuses on the mental game of fighting and what that means. So really enjoyed this. Finished it this morning. Want to get back into doing book notes. I'll stop talking about what I'm going to do and just do this. Um, first quote that I have here, one of the people he profiles is Freddie Roach, trainer, uh, of course, to Manny Pacquiao. A lot of other people and was also a professional fighter when he was younger says because I had no this is a quote because I had 150 amateur fights and 27 pro fights before I got knocked out I was never even hurt by anybody I was invincible then one day I never saw the punch coming and I woke up on the floor Freddie laughs smiles and eyes me sideways through his thick glasses I got up the guy rushed me and put me down again and the ref stopped the fight Uh, further out he says from that point on I knew I could be knocked out and that changed my whole game my attitude further I wasn't fearless anymore it put a question mark in my head. This is just kind of the opposite. Uh, there's another side to the story of also mentioned in this book is the four minute mile where Roger Bannister runs a four minute mile, changes everyone's mindset that something is possible and then inspires everybody to also run the four minute mile um, in the following year. There's plenty written about that and whether that's like a true story or not, or if that's really like the reason this mindset thing, but it's definitely like a good concept and I think is a true concept where you see someone else do something, it makes it possible, more possible for you to do it. But there's the downside to this where you realize you think you're invincible, you realize you do have vulnerabilities, that changes your mindset and then that can change your behavior. So goes to show the power of the mind, putting fear into someone else's mind. Uh, And that's a lot of what this book is about is the mind games between two people in a ring. I've been playing Brood War a lot lately have been losing to a friend of the pod, Jason, a lot. Now I can see it's in my head. Very difficult to get past that thinking you're going into a game, can't win. Um, So that can be the first step to switching things up is to find that belief that you can win. I believe I could make a good podcast. Anyway, next quote. This is about Mike C, but this is in a chapter about Marcelo Garcia. Uh, who's jujitsu legend. And this is about Mike Chisnolovitz. Hopefully I'm 
pronouncing that uh, close to correct. Anyway, he is here in his description, 205 pound fighter at Pat Militich's gym in Iowa and one of the be- better grapplers at the camp. Remembers the first time he rolled with Marcelo and then basically just talks about Marcelo dominating him. But uh, further on, he talks about the DVD set that he picked up. So he said he's talking about Marcelo. He has a whole series of back attacks. I've been following his DVD series. I've got all four sets. Mike is talking about the common practice of famous guys putting the together instructional dvds as a way of making money it's the old school way to learn mma to buy dvds and study your heroes to go to seminars what i loved about this is just it's a reminder of again how how amazing the internet is how amazing these resources we have are and something good about this book is that it mentions all these different fights and probably when it was originally released not as much footage of this stuff was available clearly not as easily easily available as it is now but now you can pull up these different stories from the book and there's just video online of a bunch of these different things uh there's a chapter in the book about uh Hanzo gracie where he talks about this fight in brazil where um people gathered around the cage and they were all supporters of his opponent and then if you got near the cage they would like it sounded like they would just like punch punch you through the cage in a way and push you back towards the center and eventually like a riot breaks out and then there's just footage of this on on youtube uh great to check out and great to just see like oh wow like this this is a pretty crazy like fight environment and yeah anyway yeah this whole thing of watching dvds to learn something study things that people put out i think that's great that in fighting the experts share their knowledge and it's great to see that that's available for different in different fields um maybe not every field but i definitely learned a lot of programming just going online same with design something with design that i learned was there's a lot more to design than just the hard skills it's a lot of soft skills stuff how you talk to people in other disciplines how you talk to other designers picked up a lot of that i would say from design details it's a podcast and depends on what field but there are some like programming um design startups where there's all sorts of podcasts about these things and then you can really hear how these people talk to each other with hours and hours of conversation just as a side note i saw there's this great post on listen notes it's this podcast search engine but it's it's made by one person and then he has this blog post about how he uses podcasts as his main informal learning uh he calls it his new wikipedia anyway just was reading a forum with reactions and there's a lot of very i find it odd objections to podcasts um, that come to mind and someone said like oh you can't learn from podcasts because the way I like to learn is I like to really you know read the material and then apply it and that rang those you can't really learn just by listening passively and it's a totally different thing I, this is what I would argue is that like that's not what, what I'm using a podcast to learn is not like I'm not trying to learn a specific programming concept just by listening and then thinking by absorbing it I'm going to know how to write the code this idea that you can't learn by listening is so ridiculous to me because it's like, why, why would you even have a conversation? You're saying like at a certain point, if someone else is talking for more than three minutes, you think that you're not learning anything from them. Maybe I'm pulling it to like a different extreme. Anyway, that's, I'm, I'm getting into like ranting at the point. Back to these DVDs, a lot of resources online, whatever you want to learn. I, I love that there's streaming communities where people show step-by-step how they're doing things. Back to StarCraft a decade ago, maybe even like more than a decade ago. 
ago, we would try to find and just like download these Korean VODs with um, people playing StarCraft with commentary over it. And then just see like, oh, these are like these techniques from a different country where it, it was using the units in very creative ways. Um and just working within the constraints of the game is another thing. And constraints are a big thing in the fighter's mind. Uh, the different rule sets in can change the mentality. Uh, there's a lot, a few chapters about wrestling and how wrestling is different from fighting. It's so much more constrained. So a lot of times that's where like the strongest mental, uh, you need a very strong mind to, to do wrestling is kind of what it was getting at. I think it was in this book, but there was, maybe it's Dan Gable. No, no, no. I think it might've been like Randy Couture. I forget, but it's about these wrestling practice sessions where it's just two, everyone would pair up and then you wrestle that same person for 90 minutes and then you can see people breaking during that session. Anyway, go get some DVDs. So, some of my favorite DVD sets. Um, WrestleMania. That's like that. <laughs> my brother got this for my birthday once. It was just like, I think the first 20 WrestleManias on DVD. Um, a training one, Better Basketball. We actually did buy that set, which was like, seemed like some kind of fortune back when my brother bought it. I think it was a few hundred dollars, which is not cheap for DVDs. But yeah, definitely help work on our post games. Um, next quote says, that's the bottom line for promoters. People want knockouts, vicious exchanges, and bloody wars, and not necessarily the best fighters in the world, especially the casual fans. They just want to hear that they're watching the best in the world. So do you fight exciting or fight to win? This is great. With like the larger professional sports, basketball, football, baseball, you can get a lot of respect. Just, you know, you win whatever style it is, win a championship. All people really care about in a way is that you are the best in the world. There are like some boring styles that, and of course, like more exciting styles will get you further. Uh, maybe, maybe this this isn't like too separate from MMA. There are like exciting teams that have, they can like stand the test of time um, without winning the championships. But it does seem like fighting is different where like you can be very exciting and then have, uh, they're probably pretty, pretty similar actually. Like if you have an exciting style in any sport, then you'll have some kind of cult following. But people do want to see these fights that are action-packed. I'm a casual fan of MMA. I can't say I know like really that much. I'll put it on, scroll through Reddit while I'm watching. That's about it. And yeah, definitely do like exciting fights. I did, I guess like one thing that I did was I did maybe like eight weeks of, and I'll mention it all the time, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And it wasn't going eight weeks every day. It was like maybe once or twice a week. So this is roughly like not training at all but it was enough i think to get some appreciation of just how insane like the ground game is and what i'm looking at looked i mean i didn't i don't understand it still when i watch it but a little bit i, I at least like could get a sense of if someone can't move on the bottom um they're just getting smothered that was pretty much like every time i went to uh to a class it was just like i'm just getting smothered but <laughs> just pair, pair here's francis pair him up with the smallest person we have here and then I would just get dominated the entire time and then pair me up with someone better and I'll just frustrate them because I don't know what I'm doing. So well, back to this though. 
importance of excitement, creating excitement as a fighter. There's another chapter where Kenny Florian is profiled and he talks about just kind of like the self-awareness that he had. He knew, hey, I'm not going to be, there's levels to this, of course. Like there's, and most people just by definition, you're not going to be the best in the world. You could train as hard as you want. It's going to be some combination of talent, hard work and that kind of thing. And he recognized, you know, there's GSP, John Jones. I don't think he mentioned I forget exactly who he mentioned, but just mentions best of the best in the world where they are just a, it's it's a different level you're not going to get there and he recognized that and that didn't mean okay i'm not going to be the best fighter in the world it's not worth doing this at all that's not that's what not what he did he thought okay i'm not going to be the very best in the world but i can be the best in some aspect and it can even be this aspect where um gsp can watch me and be impressed by what i'm doing because he couldn't do like that specific thing and then similarly like you can be known for having these bloody wars having this excitement as a fighter you, you can be the most exciting and not win a championship and people will love you for that so reminds me of I guess gladiator where you know you're not entertained he just goes murder like well he was pretty entertaining um next quote here we go it says this is about david horton so one of the uh, a couple chapters are aren't about like mma fighters one of them is about an ultra runner and then that's who david horton and then another chapter is about josh waitskin who's a chess prodigy but he also did tai chi and brazilian jiu-jitsu so i guess he is fighter that's it but here about david horton uh he describes him horton once held the appalachian trail record that famous trail that runs 2175 miles from georgia to maine he'd run it in 40 52 days nine hours where other people would take like four months um and then further on goes and he asks him the author asks horton do you feel that overtraining is a myth i asked him yes overtraining is a myth he said the harder you train the more you train the better you'll do world-class athletes train on the verge of injury. A guy I know who finished second in the Trans-America race said he took a leave of absence from his job for two, and for two months in preparation, averaged 50 miles a day. It's the end of the quote. I think this is... Um, I definitely, I think overtraining is real. I don't think it's a myth, but I do think that you can kind of like psych yourself out. I, I think I, I've leaned way too on the very, very cautious end where I'll think anything is overtraining. Like if I'm sore the next day, they'll think I must be overtraining. I need to take a couple of days off. So I, I think it is these two things where like the, the people that are able to push through and overtrain and then they just think everyone else who doesn't push that hard is weak. <laughs> I think that's wrong. But then I think like where I was, was, was pretty wrong too that like how oh, you shouldn't push at all in, in a way that uh you'd be very very careful of overtraining i think i could work out harder to be frank and then a couple weeks ago though did hurt my back doing some kettlebell swings and this was not an overtraining issue once you're over 30 start warming up start warming up earlier just make that a habit i finally experienced i think why everyone says like your body changes after 30 um warm up that's that's my takeaway here the next there's this quote from a chapter on frank shamrock ken shamrock's not blood brother but they were from the same thing to orphanage didn't quite get along perfectly all throughout their life anyway both of them great fighters one of them great wwe legend but that's the other brother so this one is about frank great name uh he says in this book oh yeah so the author writes frank taught himself to meditate in hotel rooms in japan the logic 
wasn't there of a way to beat this guy, he says. And I had so much fear and anxiety. I had to try something. I got inside myself just trying to calm down. I was sitting in the hotel thinking, oh my God, what am I doing? When I realized I had to relax. So I worked on it. Deep breaths, eyes closed, just thinking about individual techniques. I relaxed and it worked. I started to do technical visualization. Then I went out there and Funaki kicked the shit out of me. That's the end of the quote. I love this. Just like as a reminder that, you know, you can master the mental game, get better at the mental game. There's still other aspects that will be important. You should practice the hard skills. That said, like the mental game can, if that's not there, you have no chance of success and it's still important. But yeah, just this idea that you'll be able to overcome everything just by mastering your mind. Not quite. Still have to put the work in, the actual like physical work the mental can help you train help you push through that but it's not magic either yeah great chapter though just a great book overall about how fighters think this last one this last quote is about josh waitskin they're talking about this chess tournament and he would just it, it was i forget it, i forget exactly where it was but every month or it would be like this weekend tournament. And then every year it would get rained on at some point where competitors are caught outside. I don't think they're playing chess outside. I forget exactly, but you see the rain and then he'll just watch how everybody reacts. There's basically two camps. He says, but if they stand and just get, well, here we go. I'll just start with me. He says, if they put their hands up and run their controllers. So over the chessboard, you take a critical moment and make it chaotic, out of control. Make it so they have to embrace the unknown to perform. But if they stand and just get wet and enjoy the rain, then maybe they embrace chaos. That was the kind of player I was. So for them, you create a position where it takes painstaking, mind-numbing calculation to succeed. This is someone, that's another quote, this is someone that has mastered his mind. He's mastered his opponent's minds. Uh, just like one of the top chess prodigies. He, he's the who Searching for Bobby Fischer is based on. That His dad wrote the book uh, about his life as a child chess prodigy. But then he became great at Tai Chi which he talks about in The Art of Learning, great at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Now he's doing, um, I think it's like paddleboarding at a high level. Uh, but this I put in here because it reminded me of a different thing that's good for mindset. He was on the Tim Ferriss podcast. He's, he's on Tim Ferriss's podcast. It seems like once a year, once every other year. Always great episodes. But there's an episode in there where he talks about raising his son. And he wants to make sure that his son doesn't let... He, he wants to instill this idea that the environment shouldn't control like your inner manner. I'm really like butchering this, but like your the your state of mind shouldn't be you can protect that, shield that from your environment. And the example he gives is that a lot of people this isn't just kids, like a lot of people let the weather bum them out. It's, it's rainy outside, it's terrible outside, I'm gonna have a bad day. They just resign uh, they're resigned to that from when they wake up. But he says what he's taught his son is that whenever it rains, whenever it's a storm, they put their rain gear on they splash in the rain outside it's something to look forward to it's beautiful they love it and it is this real like reframe that you he's, he's just teaching like hey rainy day good thing it's not my day's not ruined at all and i'm sure he applies this in a bunch of different ways and i think it's something worth thinking about and closing on that today can be a good day this is just i'm just stealing from this book tiny habits he has the maui habit uh it's bj fog he talks about the Maui habit, what it is, wake up, you say, today's going to be a good day. 
or today's going to be a great day. And then if something comes to mind at that point where you realize like, hey, today might not be a great day because of such and such reasons. Maybe it's raining out and you had a beach trip planned. Anything, anything that comes up. Instead, you add one thing to it and you say, today's going to be a great day somehow. I'll close with that and I'll try to make good episodes in the future somehow. Thanks for listening. This is the Note Pod, episode one. More to come.